book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my eight-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter book series. In our previous episode, we started the first six chapters of which book? Book six, The Half-Blood Prince. Yeah, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And this is going to be a little bit different as we finish out this book uh, for the next four or five episodes or so, because you are probably going to be done with them before we read our next, before we record our next podcast. Uh, Because why? Why are you reading so quickly through these books right now? Um, because, um, we're trying to finish all of the chapters before we go to Wizarding World. That's right. In about a week's time, we're going to be heading to Wizarding World in Orlando. And so there are certain things that we wanted you, your mother and I wanted you to know before we got to a place where there might be spoilers acted out in front of you. And based on our research, it seems like there's no real spoilers for the final book, for book seven, perhaps, but there may be some for book six. So it's important for you to finish book six. Book six contains certainly some major events and revelations in the Harry Potter universe, some of which I think may take place in front of you in Wizarding World. So we're going to try and get through that. The only problem is that the chapters we're about to cover you read many weeks ago, and so hopefully they're still fresh in your mind. I will do my best to remind you of of where we are. If there's something you don't know or you don't remember, just tell me you don't know, and we'll we'll try and move through together, okay? Okay. All right, so the chapter that we're picking up on is Chapter 7, The Slug Club. I think I alluded to this chapter in our last episode or what The Slug Club was. Um... What is the Slug Club? It is not a club for people who like slugs. Nope. <laughs> not people who want to do spells that make them spit out slugs, right? <laughs> uh, no, thanks. Um, um, what it actually is, is like a club for... It's a club of people Slughorn picked Yeah, he's a collector of humans. He's a collector of interesting and possibly influential young people that may grow up to have important jobs or power or status or whatever. He wants them to think fondly of him. He's not actually doing, he's not actually like, you know, keeping them and there's nothing official about it. He just likes the feeling of knowing that I have been a part of the lives of these potentially influential people. So anyway, we're not at school yet. Uh, They have just witnessed, or we've just witnessed Draco's detour to a dark wizarding shop. Uh, Borgen and Burks, is that right? Yes. He's on a dark mission for Voldemort. He's got a thing he needs, and Voldemort's going to be upset if he doesn't get it. We don't know what that is. Uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione... Or 
Harry, Ron, and Hermione are talking to Draco, I guess, because they're they're not even yet on the train yet. Uh, and Hermione is reading about rune translations. Uh, Harry is convinced that there's something about Draco. What does Harry think is going on with Draco right now? He thinks that Draco is a Death Eater. Yeah, he thinks he's got the dark mark. He thinks he's directly receiving orders from Voldemort. Yeah, he thinks he's got the dark mark because I believe for every person who has the dark mark, it's on their left arm, right? Sure, and he shows that to Madame Pomfrey. Oh, no, to uh, Madame Malfoy's mom at some point. Uh, yeah, so. Narcissa. And every time someone goes near his left arm, he's like, hey, watch it. Interesting. So, yeah, he's guarding, perhaps guarding a secret. He better make sure he wears long sleeves all the time. Seems <laughs> like that'd be something pretty easy to find out, right? Uh, Ginny has a new uh, companion, so to speak, that she's bringing on the, the train this time around. Do you remember what it's called? A pygmy puff. And what is a pygmy puff? It's like these little puffy creatures. Um, I think. I don't think they actually gave a, a description, but this is what I'm guessing that they are are like. They're like these tiny little puffy creatures that look like pom pom poms, mm-hmm. but they have legs. And do you know that they have stuffed pygmy puffs for sale at Wizarding World? What? Yeah, I figure that's one of the things we'll probably be coming home with if I had to guess. <laughs> awesome. They're supposed to be pretty popular, so. Uh, I hope they have some left. <laughs> I, well, they'll have some of everything left, I'm sure. Yeah, obviously. Uh, Ron and Hermione cannot sit with Harry again this year because they have a different place they have to be. Where are they supposed to be? They're supposed to be in the prefect compartment. Yeah, the prefects all gather in one compartment, and then they take turns kind of patrolling their car to make sure the first and second years probably aren't acting up too much. But they do get to sit with their friends in the regular compartment after a few hours. Right. And I don't remember if we've ever specifically been told how long the train ride from King's Ross to Hogwarts is. It seems like it's at least four or five hours. No, it's more like eight. Okay, so it's like a half a day maybe. I don't know. Um, So they've got some time at least. Uh, Before they board the train... Harry talks to Mrs. Weasley, and he's trying to convince her that Draco is a Death Eater. Seems like maybe no one is keen to accept Harry's hypothesis about Draco, but uh, it seems like it's pretty clear that he comes from a family that serves Voldemort. Maybe they they think it's impossible for a kid to be a Death Eater? Yeah, they're like, a 16-year-old couldn't be taking orders from Voldemort. I don't see why not, unless it's just never happened before, but... You know, uh, Harry's parents were dead when they were 20, which means Peter Pettigrew was 20 when he killed them or he led to their death. And also Voldemort became Voldemort when he was like 16, right? It's not that he became... I don't think he sort of came out as Lord Voldemort until around the time Harry was born when he was actually trying to take power. I think he probably hid and people knew him as Tom Riddle. He himself probably thought he was Lord Voldemort, but he didn't start saying, Hey everybody, I'm Lord Voldemort (laughs) until he was ready to be public about it. Like, Hey, my nickname's Lord Voldemort. Call me Voldemort from now on. That's my assumption. I could be wrong on that. Uh, Harry is sitting with Neville and Luna and Neville's reading a quibbler, which we know her father publishes. 
what's special about this issue? What sort of accessory did they come with? Do you remember? No. The Spectre Specs. And what does she say about Spectre Specs? What do they help you detect? I think... It's not Nargles, is it? It's something else. I'm not sure. Ra- is it Raxperts? Do you remember that? Am I making that up? I don't know. I think Raxperts is a thing. And she mentions that they like kind of collect around your ears and make your thoughts fuzzy. I don't remember. And she I tells. I quite of, sort of that. I'm also probably remember this from the movies instead of the books. So I'm not really sure. Um, um, there's a fourth year girl named Romilda Vane who shows up and she gives Harry an offer. What does she offer Harry? Um, I think she offers him to sit with her and the girls in the compartment. Like, I think it's next to them or something. And she says, you don't have to sit with these losers. And what is, what is Harry's response to that? Like, these are my friends, I think. Yeah, he says, these are my friends. Like, you don't... Don't mess with them. You're not doing me any favors by telling me to... Well, he doesn't say that, but he's... This is very interesting. Do you remember what happened when... Cho showed up and Harry was sitting with Luna and Neville uh, last year or the year before. No, I don't remember. This was right after Neville's plant had put stink juice all over Harry. I thought that was in the fifth book. It was, it was, yeah, like I said, last year or the year before. I don't remember. So the thought that Harry had when Cho showed up and he was sitting with these same two people was, I wish I had been sitting with cool people who were laughing at some amazing joke I had just told. Hmm. This time around, someone says, hey, don't sit with these losers. And he's like, these losers are my friends. Get out of my face. <laughs> and they say, I think Luna says, that's very kind of you to say that, Harry. Like, as if you don't really mean that. But he's like, no. Uh, she didn't fight with me last year. She didn't face the Dark Lord with me. So do you think Harry views Neville and Luna differently after the last book? Yeah. Can you think of, I mean, other than what I just said, any reasons that he's got a higher opinion of them now than he might have previously? Has he seen what kind of people they actually are instead of just prejudging them? Yeah, um, since they were both in the DA and they both fought Voldemort with him, like you said, they're not so much at the weirdos that he thought they were. Yeah, Harry was guilty of having a bit of prejudice for for some of his now friends in that he thought, you know, Luna's weird, Neville's weak, Neville's a wimp, Luna's crazy. But he's judging, he was judging them the same way people judge him. Harry's a weirdo, he's... He's telling lies. He's the chosen one, he's a liar, he's looking for fame, whatever it is. And I think he's grown up a little bit about this. Another interesting thing about uh, Harry in this car right now is that uh, this is the first year that Draco has not brought Crab and Goyle to taunt Harry in the car. He thinks that's he's, kind he's of no, suspicious. He's nowhere to be found. Uh, Draco's off doing other stuff. Uh, so anyway, he turns down her offer. He turns down Ramilda Vane's offer. Uh, later, they, they find... Um, I think they're invitations. Harry and Neville get an invitation to join Slughorn. Oh, yeah, that's right. Not for a dinner, but in his compartment in the train. He's already trying to collect people. Again, since when do 
Um, since when do teachers ride in the compartments with the students on the train? They might do it a lot. Now, now Slughorn is new, so the other teachers might already be at Hogwarts, but this is Slughorn, Slughorn's first year, so... I guess that's true. He might have to travel on the train, and maybe he's been given his own compartment, or he's requested it, at least. They get there and find some other students. Uh, Cormac McCloggin, who we'll learn more about later, Marcus Belby, Ginny's there. And the interesting thing is that Slughorn is interested in Ginny, but has no interest in Ron whatsoever. In fact... One of the main themes of this book is Slughorn not being interested in Ron. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Ron is already overshadowed by his brothers. He's overshadowed by his best friend. Now he's overshadowed by the teacher. Yeah, the, yeah, the teacher is is ignoring, even though he's kind of coming into his own in this book. Ron is learning sort of who he is and what he's about. He's getting better at things that he maybe wasn't so great at. And he's showing the things that he was always good at, like being uh, really courageous when it counts and, and certainly very loyal to his friends. Um, so they have their little pre slug club meeting. Slughorn is talking about all the famous wizards. Many of them are parents of these students, right? He taught McCloggins' uh, father or grandfather. He taught several of the other kids. Uh, he taught Rufus Scrimjaw, I um, who is now the Minister of Magic. And I believe we learned this later. I don't think it's a spoiler, but he had actually taught some Death Eaters. Oh, you know what? He didn't teach. He taught Cormac's uncle, and I think Cormac's uncle went hunting with Rufus Scrimjaw. So like, he's like, you know, he's not even concerned about how famous you are. He's maybe even concerned about how famous the people your family knows are. He's looking for influence anywhere he can find it basically. And he, he starts sort of introduces them to the idea of the slug club and what to expect and how he wants to collect them all as figurines to put on his, you know, cabinet. Mm -hmm. Harry has a plan about, Spying on Draco, what does he think he's going to do? I think that he... He sees a Slytherin boy walk by, and what's his plan? I think he starts thinking that he might start walking into Malfoy's compartment, and Harry's going to try and get under the invisibility cloak when someone comes in or out of Malfoy's compartment, he's going to go in with an invisibility cloak on him and start spying on them. Yeah, he's going to follow the Slytherin guy, Zabini, into the compartment under his cloak. He's going to listen in on Malfoy's conversation. Now, we know that these compartments are not that big. Not sure where Harry thinks he's going to be. Is this a good plan? Not really, but he ends up actually getting in there, and he hides in the suitcase shelf or something? Yeah, it's up it's up high. It's it's like uh like a top shelf basically where the luggage would be. And Malfoy, yep. he's having his hair stroked by Pansy Parkinson and he's talking about how I might not even be at Hogwarts next year. I'll be on to bigger and better things. And Pansy's like, "Oh." They're treating him like he's great. He's also lamenting the fact that he was not invited into the slug club. He thinks he should be. I think even if Slughorn knows the Malfoys are an important family, he probably doesn't want to get involved with Death Eaters. Not really. We also know that he spent a year 
running away from Death Eaters who are trying to get him to join. So I'm sure he knows Malfoy's dad's in prison for being a Death Eater and doesn't want anything to do with him, right? Yeah. At the end of their ride, they reach uh, Hogsmeade and Draco tells all the other Slytherins to leave the compartment. Why? Because I believe that, like, earlier in the train ride, the train lurched and um, it, like, bumped everyone, including Harry, and his invisibility cloak came up a little bit so that it showed his feet for a split second. Yeah, Draco knows he's there, so what's Draco going to do to Harry now that he realizes they're being spied on? Um, with, without any warning at all, he just takes out his wand and says, Pacificus Totalis, um, at Harry. Harry falls down, looking at Draco, and I believe Draco talks to him for a second and then stamps his face. Yeah, kicks him as hard as he can in the nose. He breaks his nose. Harry lies there, unable to move, bleeding. And, um... And the curtains are pulled down, so nobody knows that he's in there. And then Draco does what with the invisibility cloak? I believe he takes it and then puts it on top of Harry. This is interesting. It's another one of those things where I'm always interested to see how people treat the invisibility cloak or the knowledge that one exists. This is an incredibly powerful piece of magic. Yeah, shouldn't he just take it? I would think he would just take it. It's unlikely anyone's going to find Harry anyway. The reason that Draco doesn't take it is because then we have to have a whole story about getting it back. And that's probably not what the author intended for this for this book. But a guy like Draco, you'd think he'd steal that cloak. I mean, you would think he'd steal it regardless. Not now, like two years ago, three years ago. Everyone knows Harry has an invisibility cloak or some people do. So they should, you know, they should they should want it. And no one seems to care about it, but no one else has one. So, that's weird to me. Maybe a lot of people just don't know about it. Draco's plan is that Harry will now lie unconscious all the way back to King's Cross Station. Like, oh, yay, Harry's not going to beat Hogwarts ever again. Well, or at least he'll get in big trouble, or he'll be several days late, or that there will be some other repercussions for... When does the Patrick... The spell that he put on him wore off. I would guess several hours, probably. Maybe an hour or more. They've done it to a lot of people, and we've never really seen anyone wake up from it, you know? Yeah, Hermione did it to Neville in their second year, uh, or their first, I don't remember. Um, And he's... He was found by a teacher, though, so the teacher probably took the spell off of him. Chapter 8, Snape Victorious... Harry's paralyzed on the Hogwarts Express. He tries to get his wand, but he can't. And who finds him? I believe Tonks finds him. And Tonks is removed uh, from the movie here. It's actually, in the movie, it's uh, Luna that finds him. So my memory is a little screwy on this part. Uh, She heals his nose. She unfreezes him. I'm guessing she was alerted because Harry never arrived, you know, at Hogwarts. Yeah. So that's a pretty big deal. So the order is going to be alerted. She sends word that she's found Harry. How does she do that? Does she do her Patronus? Yes. 
I think this is the first time we see people use Patronuses like cell phones or text messages. <laughs> I think they're like, man, we've got to have a way to send long distance messages. And now they are sending. Without using owls and letters. Yeah. Now they're sending Patronuses to send messages. What is her Patronus now? I believe it's a four legged thing. You don't remember what kind of animal it is, though? They don't tell us. Oh, they don't? No. Hmm, interesting. Um, she says that she's there with some other uh, order members. Tonks seems depressed and very serious uh, compared to her normal sort of happy self, changing her face, changing her hair color. Yeah, and her hair is now just like a mousy gray. Yeah, I wonder what's going on with her. Uh, when they get to Hogwarts... Harry tries to open them, but the gates won't open. He's like, oh, crap. Harry suggests they would just climb the wall, but Tonks mentions that there is increased security. By a lot. Who finds them? Snape? Yeah, Snape shows up, which is probably the last person Harry wants to see. (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember what Snape says to Harry at this point about what he thinks Harry's motives for being late were? Sort of to be to be like the late person who makes a grand entrance in the middle of the speech or something. Yeah, he says, um, as a matter of fact, I think I actually have the quote on this. He says, um doobity doo doobity doo I can't find it. But he says something like, oh, you know what? I do have it. I'm not even going to edit this out. He says, I suppose you wanted to make an entrance, did you? And with no flying cars available, you decided that bursting into the Great Hall halfway through the feast ought to create a dramatic effect. (laughs) And then he... Like, boom. Obviously, Harry doesn't want that. Snape deep down knows he doesn't want that, but he's projected this inflated image of Harry that doesn't exist. Uh, But then he says, Harry's thinking, I'm going to put on my invisibility cloak and sneak in. Snape immediately says, no cloak. You can walk in so that everyone sees you, which is what you wanted, I'm sure. No. So first he chastises him for thinking he wants to be seen with this grand entrance. Then he's like, well, you're going to make a grand entrance regardless. He also tells Tonks, your old Patronus was better. Your new one looks weak. I wonder what your old Patronus was. I, I got to look this up because I feel like they should have said, why point that out if, if we're not going to know what these Patronuses are? So anyway, Harry makes his way in to the welcome feast. Hermione cleans up his face. so His, his nose isn't broken anymore, but he's still got blood all over his face. And Harry totally missed the sorting, so he doesn't know where the new kids are going. Yeah, we miss that, like, every year. Well, it's because it's not as interesting, because we don't know any first years now. I know, but it's still interesting. We don't really care where the first years go, because we never hear from them. They're not involved in the action. Uh, Dumbledore makes a big speech. Something is weird about his physical appearance. What's different about Dumbledore this year? I believe his hand is all blackened. Yeah, he's got kind of a scraggly blackened hand. Looks like it's been in a barbecue. (laughs) Or like it's dead. It's kind of a mummy hand. He doesn't draw attention to it, but it's there. That's weird. And he also announces that there are some change-ups in the teachers. He announces Professor Slughorn. What position is he taking? Potions. I believe 
in our last episode, I got confused and kept referring to Slughorn as the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Well, that's what we assumed he would be. Oh, is that what you're supposed to think in the first chapters? Yes. Well, see, I would, I should have known the difference because I've read the books and seen the movies, but I, I guess I totally forgot. But he's not... Every year we get a new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. We still got a new one, though. Who's our new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher? Snape. Snape. This is what the chapter refers to as Snape Victoria. Snape's wanted this job for 20 years. He's finally got it. I think I know why he got it. Why do you think he got it? I have no idea. I wager that Dumbledore wants Slughorn close. That He told Harry it was part of his plan to have Slughorn at Hogwarts. And Slughorn's is a potions master. He's not a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. So if we need him in potions, I would imagine the only way to get Snape to give up potions would be what? To be Defense Against the Dark Arts. Yeah, give him his dream job. Otherwise, I can't imagine him giving up the position he's already got, you know. What's he going to teach? Divination? I mean, it's not going to happen. So Harry tells Ron that he overheard Draco saying some sp- suspicious things. Yeah, if he was divination if he taught divination then he would hate it, then Harry would hate it twice as much. <laughs> they also run into Hagrid who says that Grop is making progress. But we don't really hear from Grop again. Uh not too much. And there's a bit of an awkwardness with Hagrid. What's going on in terms of Hagrid's class this year? He assumes that Harry, Hermione, and Ron are taking his class this year, but they're not. Yeah, they feel bad about it, too. I think they have all kind of decided their... It's it's not really their thing, for one... Two, it's horrifying most of the time. Yeah, they get hurt. Something terrible happens. Hagrid is a great guy, but not a great... Yeah. It's, and, I, I don't even want to say he's not a great teacher. He is good at the things he teaches them. Yeah. He is bad at deciding what animals to bring in. <laughs> yeah, you actually told us um, in a few episodes back that he was a good teacher if you want to know something about animals, but he's maybe not the best professor. Right. Like, he... He should be teaching people who are particularly interested in terrifying creatures, maybe like college-level terrifying creature courses. But for young students who just need to learn about magical creatures, uh, Hagrid goes immediately to the most uh, deadly, horrifying. Yeah, And so it's, you know, I think in addition to that, they've also sort of picked their career trajectories at this point and learning more about magical creatures – it won't help them, and so it will only fill their schedules. Uh, do you think Hagrid's feelings are hurt? They will be once Harry, Hermione, and Ron tell him that they're not going to be in his yeah, class. Yeah, he just assumes they're going to be there, but they don't They don't know yet. Also, speaking of careers, um, I believe Harry cannot be or... Well, that's right? where we are now. We are at Chapter 9, The Half-Blood Prince. Uh, they pass by Pavardi Patel and Lavender Brown in the hall, who are best friends. But when they notice Ron, Lavender has an unusual reaction. What does she do? Does she giggle? Yeah, she kind of giggles and blushes and smiles. She seems to be interested in Ron. Like, maybe she has a crush on him. Yeah. Uh, Professor McGonagall is figuring out 
where, you know, looking at her students' schedules and figuring out where they're going to be, what classes they're going to be in. And she questions Harry about his choice for classes. What's the problem? I believe he didn't pick. It was either potions or defense against the dark arts. I don't remember. She did. He did not take potions. Okay. And why did he not take potions? Because he knows that because of the grade he got last year in potions, um, that he's that he's not able to to do his or thing. Well, sort of. So. He knows that he is not allowed to continue in uh, sixth year potions. Oh, because Snape would not accept an, an, an exceeds expectations. Yeah, he he got an exceeds expectations, which wasn't good enough for Snape. Yeah, it has to be an O or higher. And she says, Mr. Potter, I thought if you planned to continue a career as an order, you would be taking advanced potion making. You know, and he says, I can't. Because I failed last year. He didn't fail. He did really good. He just didn't do really good enough for Snape. She says, well, as Professor Snape demanded an O, Professor Slughorn will certainly accept and exceeds expectations. So you should report to his class right away. So he heads off to, he's like, oh, crap, I can still be an or I can still do. <laughs> I still do my thing. And she tells Mr. Weasley, you know, Mr. Weasley, go with him. Like, you're both in there. So, you know, Ron's sort of a tag along for Harry anyway, but I think Ron wouldn't mind being an or He probably wouldn't mind being a, a Quidditch player either. I'm sure he doesn't know yet what he wants to be. So anyway, they're like late for class. They should, they, they run off to class or something. Um... Actually, their first class is is Defense Against the Dark Arts with Snape. Dang. And Snape tells him, um, he's sort of explaining the nature of the dark arts. And he explains all these horrifying pictures he's got on the walls. And he, uh, he also talks about nonverbal spells, which I guess they're gonna, they're supposed to start learning. We haven't really seen the kids use nonverbal spells, you know, yet. And I believe this is the point where Snape and Harry have an unusual confrontation for a classroom, right? Do you remember what happens? No. Snape is sort of complaining about Ron, and he seems like he's going to advance on them in some way. Harry instinctually pulls out his wand and launches a protego at Snape. Mm. Like they're about to fight, because... He, even though his attention is focused on Draco, he's never been comfortable with Snape, right? He knows that Snape is an uh, order member, but he's still not sure if Snape's a bad guy. So, and we know some things about Snape right now that Harry doesn't know. We know that Snape might be actually serving Voldemort. At this point, we have no clue. Like he's been ev- he's been both things like six times each. But Snape Harry tries to protect himself with a defensive spell against Snape, which earns him a detention. And then uh Snape doles out some punishments. Do you remember what he says? No. He says something like, I think fifty points from Gryffindor and another twenty five for being late. I don't think any house has ever started in the negative this early. You know, something like that. So uh He's just, he's trying, 
at the end of the year, they've only got a few hundred points each. So now they're starting negative 75 on the first day. Not too good for Gryffindor. I didn't even know you could have negative. Because last year you couldn't. Well, he's saying you got zero to start. I'm taking them away. You haven't even earned any yet. So now they have to earn up to zero. They have their first potions lesson with Slughorn. No, that couldn't happen last year. Apparently it can now. I don't know. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione have their first uh, potions lesson with Slughorn. And there's there's cauldrons everywhere ready to be, you know, used. Slughorn mentions by the end of this class, you should be able to develop a uh, brew a polyjuice potion. Why does that seem odd? Who could brew a polyjuice potion in their second year? Harry, Ron and Hermione. Hermione specifically. So Hermione was already better at potions in her second year than Slughorn expects the average student to be at the end of their sixth. Yeah. So that says something about Hermione. Uh, she's also not particularly great at potions. So maybe Polyjuice potions not that hard, or she just tried really, really hard to get that one right. <laughs> he mentions Amortentia, which is a love potion. Do you remember what he says about a love potion? Mm-mm. Slughorn tells everybody that a love potion cannot produce real love. Do you remember that? Yes, yes, yes. What yes. does he say about it? I believe he says something like it can make the person fall in love with you, but it will not be the act of real love or something like that. Yeah, it's going to be extreme infatuation and it's going to be like sudden. Sure, uh, and very powerful, but not real because you can't create actual love with magic. Yeah, it also make you sort of act weird when you talk about it. This will come into play later. It's very important to point out. There's there's two things going on here. One of them, I think, is the author sort of showing a parallel of what teenage romance is like. Teenagers typically have a crush on somebody, and the first thing they think is, we're in love. We're going to be together forever. We're going to get married. I know we're only 13, but we're going to get married. We're going to be together forever. It's the most important thing in the world. And then they break up two weeks later. So teenagers feel every emotion turned all the way up to maximum. And so there is this idea that you know teenage love isn't necessarily real. It's usually infatuation rather than love. And then it's also important to point out that yeah, this this is partly real life, partly just magic. It's also important to point out that if you were to put someone under a love potion spell, that their actions would not be representative of, of what they really want and who they really are. And that'll come into play later. He mentions a final potion, which is nicknamed Liquid Luck. What's its actual name? Felix Felicis. Felix Felicis. And he's offering... A tiny bottle, because it's apparently very hard to brew. Yeah, I think it takes like six months. Well, the thing is, uh, based on what it can do, if it was easy to brew, everybody would have some every morning. Because <laughs> what does Felix Felicis do? It gives you luck for the entire 24 hours. And in what way does it give you luck? How does, it, how does he say it will affect your day? Can it'll you make it'll it'll sort of make everything go your way. Yes, anything you try to do will probably turn out your way. Any chances that you take that might be risky will probably pay off. 
you're going to have a pretty great day. So if you've got three tests and a Quidditch game, you're that's go- the day to take your Felix Felicis, yeah. right? Or if or if it's um or if it's your Owl's Day or your Newt's Day, you should probably take it unless it's banned. Right, and it certainly would be. Yeah. I'm sure they have anti-Felix Felicis spells for yeah. test days, honestly. So Slughorn is offering a tiny bottle of this as a prize. A prize for what? A prize for who brews the best potion. That and day. the potion, do you remember which potion they're trying to brew today? It's Draft of Living Death. Oh, I think that's supposed to be something that makes it seem like you're dead, even though you're still alive. It's a way to like disguise a person as being dead, perhaps. I'm not sure. Yeah. Draco asks Professor Slughorn, did you know my grandfather, Abraxas Malfoy? And he's like not impressed. I think he's trying to weasel his way into the slug club, right? Yeah. Harry doesn't have a book. Neither does Ron, because they weren't planning on being in that class. Yeah, they... So they tell Slughorn, uh, we don't have any books or supplies. So what's his suggestion for them? He says that they can borrow some of his. So they both run to the back, and there's a new book and an old book. They fight over the new book. Harry Harry actually loses, so he gets the old book. So they go sit down to do this draft of living death. And what does Harry notice about this this old torn up book that he's got? Harry opens up his book to the draft of the living desk and he's like, what? Because basically almost the entire page has been scribbled out. And what's in its place? It's directions for how to do the potion. The right way. Yeah. So it's like saying... So for instance, when we finally saw the ministry-approved Defense Against the Dark Arts books with uh, Umbridge, we saw that their approach was very baby-like, right? Baby. So maybe if Harry were to write a Defense Against the Dark Arts book, maybe he'd scribble throughout the whole book and say, nope. This isn't how you do it. You need to do a Patronus and a Protego and a Expelliarmus and all that. So this book is saying, this might be the way the ministry wants you to brew these potions. I've done my own research. This is how you do it for real. So for instance, one of the things is for them to slice up these beans. What is the, what's the book say to do instead? I believe it says to just like squeeze them or crush them. Yeah, it says to take the edge of your knife and crush them. Uh, and, and you'll get more juice that way instead of slicing them. Hermione's having a really hard time. Slicing them. Yeah. Uh, no one's doing that well. Harry crushes it with the knife. His potion turns out fantastic. What does Slughorn say? Mm. Do, do you remember who he compares Harry to? No. Says they like, Harry, my boy, I, I, I do believe you've inherited your mother's gift for potions. Lily was extraordinarily talented with potions. Hmm. And so uh, he's like, uh, yeah, I guess I'm pretty good. <laughs> Thanks to my book here. After class, he tells Ron and Hermione, and Hermione doesn't think it's the right thing to do, doesn't think it's fair. She's, I think, equally has a problem with Harry both basically cheating and with Harry not following the specific rules. I don't know... If it should be called cheating or not, because it's what the book says to do. 
it is here's where it becomes dishonest. It becomes dishonest when Harry doesn't reveal that he has an advantage because like, oh, I only did great because my book has yeah, awesome. He is taking credit for being really good at potions when what he should do is say, Professor, um, my book has like a million scribbles of directions. Yeah. Are there. these right? Or should I get a different book? What do you think? You know, uh, so he's being a little deceptive. It's sort of a lie of omission. He's not telling on himself, but he's definitely getting a benefit that the other students do not have. Also, he's taking a big risk because who knows if this Half-Blood Prince knows what he was talking about, right? Yeah. He could be totally... Maybe the first spell, the first potion's great. And then maybe the second one blows up in his face because of the prince's instructions. Who knows? Or, may, or maybe like once the person drinks it, it melts their head. She also mentions Hermione. She's like, you remember the last time somebody took orders out of a book? A handwritten order out of a book? She's talking about Ginny and the diary as yeah. Voldemort. How do we know that Voldemort wasn't the Half-Blood Prince? Maybe he went to this school. Maybe that's his book. That's what everyone suspects. If it's that, why would it be that obvious? Everyone expects Dumbledore. I mean, Voldemort. Right. So I'd be, I'd be suspicious, but Harry likes the idea that Slughorn is happy with his performance, and he probably wouldn't have done that well without it. No one did. On the very back of the book, uh, there is a scribbling that says what? Mm. This book is the property of the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. We don't know who that is or what that is. It's probably not someone's real name because it sounds like a title, kind of like Lord Voldemort. Lord, Prince... Half-blood? Who's a half-blood? Voldemort. Voldemort. So, I don't know. Would Voldemort admit to being a half-blood to anyone? Maybe he did in his younger days. He mean... Yeah. (laughs) So, chapter 10. The House of Gaunt. Uh, Harry is continuing to follow the Half-Blood Prince's instructions, and he's doing great. This is actually one of the more confusing chapters. Okay, well, if we get to a part that you think is confusing, you let me know, and Mm -hmm. we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Harry is doing great with the Half-Blood Prince's instructions. Slughorn thinks he's a potions genius, right? Mm -hmm. It also means that whoever the Half-Blood Prince was must have been a potions genius, too, because all these potions are turning out fantastic. His instructions are better than the books. They should probably be the ones in the book, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Harry has been called into a private meeting with Dumbledore. And Professor Trelawney goes by. Uh, So obviously we know that she's been reinstated as a professor now. And she's reading like tarot cards or something. So it's interesting to see that she's back after all the, you know, stuff she went through last year. What is a tarot card? Uh, You know when people pretend to be palm reading and they turn over cards and it's like, oh, this says you're... Shouldn't go on vacation because bad things will happen. Yeah, no. Okay, well, it's a long, old superstition that if you shuffle a deck of special cards and then turn them over in a certain way and know how to interpret them, that uh, you can read the future, read someone's fortune. Obviously, it's all garbage. But (laughs) in the magical world, perhaps. Sounds interesting, though. Perhaps in the magical world, they are. yeah, if you want to play with them and learn what they're about... 
it's 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 quite interesting, but obviously it's not real magic. So yeah, we um, you can learn it if it sounds interesting to you, but it wouldn't help you at all. You know, and there are people today that that still believe in stuff like that, and the problem is. Um, for every person that actually thinks it's real magic, there's someone who knows it's a scam and is doing it on purpose to trick people out of their money or trick people usually out of their money. Honestly, <laughs> um, they're, you know, they might read their tarot cards and say, Oh, your fortunes will, fortunes will approve, improve if you donate all of your money to me. You know, so <laughs> it's garbage, but uh, they've, they've taken a couple of things that are, from our own culture, like tarot cards and astrology, reading the stars to tell the future, like Frenzy does, uh, things that are not real at all, and integrated them into magical society, which is kind of interesting because it says, oh, like the muggles think they know what this is about. We actually do it, you know? <laughs> so they've they've heard about it maybe from us, but but we're the ones that can really make it work. So, so anyway, um, he's going to be given uh, private lessons with certain information about Voldemort, right? Yeah. Dumbledore last year apologized to Harry and said, sorry, I kept you in the dark. I had my reasons, but now I realize maybe I was wrong. So this year, we're going to share everything. I'm going to teach you about Voldemort. It almost seems like he is training Harry for like, you know, if you guys meet again, I want you to have as much ammunition as possible. I want you to know what I know or know everything there is to know about Voldemort perhaps so that you are better matched. Right. Yeah. He goes to the Pensieve, pulls out a memory of someone named Bob Ogden, who was a department of magical law enforcement employee many, many, many years ago, probably close to 80 or so years ago. Of course, Voldemort was already an old man. 80 years ago, he was probably 60, 50, mm-hmm. 60. Um, Ogden is going down to some shack in a place called Great Hangleton. It's between Great Hangleton and Little Hangleton. And someone's yelling at him, but they're not speaking English. What are they speaking? It seems like they're speaking parcel tongue. Right. Oh, so at this point, I should mention they've they've poured the memory into the Pensieve, and they're both watching it now. And yes, yeah, someone's yelling at him in parcel tongue. Turns out that guy is Morphin Gaunt, and then his father, Mister Gaunt, is there. But he invites Ogden into the house. I always imagined these guys as centaurs, but they're not. No, they're not centaurs. They are. They are meant. Now, here's this is kind of a a a parallel of actual society. I believe they are meant to be like Appalachian Hill folk. Like Mm -hmm. they are people who have chosen to live far away from society, perhaps in a house they built themselves. They are meant to be sort of shabbily dressed and kind of backwoodsy, you know, maybe not super educated. Uh, This is a trope in modern society. I'm not saying this is a real it is a real thing, kind of, but I'm not saying they're all like this. It's a stereotype, but it comes from a seed of truth in uh, in that there were people that would live out in the like West Virginia mountains uh, making, you know, moonshine alcohol and, and uh, hiding from the cops and doing what they wanted to do and, and trying to 
live on their own without going and living in the city or living as part of a big community. And they might end up having generations and generations of, of sons and daughters and children all sort of living far, far away so that their worldview becomes very small and they're not super clued in on the world at large. They kind of just know what they know and they know what they like and they don't trust strangers, you know, and you, you might even consider them to be poor. Uh, it seems like they don't have a lot of money, but maybe they don't care. So anyway, he happens on these gaunts. I uh, got Morphin and Mr. Gaunt. They do invite Ogden into the house and Ogden is looking for Morphin. Do you remember why? What did Morphin do that was a breach of wizard law? I believe he killed a muggle. He at least attacked a muggle. I don't remember if he killed him. He's accused of attacking a muggle. There's also a young girl in the house. Do you remember her name? They all start with M. <laughs> Marope Gaunt. So you got Morphin, Marope, and Mr. I don't know what Mr.'s first name is. Um, how do they describe Marope or Maropi? I don't know how they really want you to say her name. We say it Marope. So how how would you describe their their description of Marope? I believe that she wears like a tattered dress and an apron. They say that her dress is the same color gray as the shabby walls behind her. That and, she is very shy. And I don't know if she's a squib or she's just really, really bad at magic. Says she looks to be a squib. And they call her a squib. But... Like, for instance, she breaks a pot and she can't mend it magically with a reparo. Her father repairs it. So, yeah, you're right. She's either a squib or she hasn't learned any magic. And they say, well, Morphin, you got to come to a hearing. Mr. Gaunt starts talking about how he is a pureblood. And he shows him a ring with a black stone. You remember what that ring is supposed to be a symbol of? No? No. He says that this is from the Peveril family. I'm directly descended from the Peveril family. He shows him a gold locket that Marope is wearing. He says, do you see this? This is also from the Peveril family. We're direct descendants of Salazar Slytherin. In fact, we're his last living descendants. What are descendants? Ancestors. Mm. Who was the heir of Salazar Slytherin? Voldemort. So who were these people? I, I'm guessing they're Voldemort's family. Exactly right. This is the beginning of Voldemort. This is what Harry is witnessing right here. So he's seeing... Here's, here's what's interesting. These are, like I said, they're sort of backwoods hills people. Not too sophisticated. But super proud of their heritage. That's also kind of in line with some of those types. But... But they're they're not just proud of their. It, it doesn't it seem kind of backwards that they're like, look at us, we're so great, we're air cells are slithering, you know. But then they're also like living in kind of a shack. And what? My, I guess my question for them is, what is this ancestry supposed to afford you? Are they supposed to respect you like, and go, ooh, cells are slithering? Hold on. Like, oh, um, 
we're the awesome, cool people who are ready to sell us our Slytherin, but we don't ever see any people ever, so they're never going to know. Yay. Yeah, and I think I think the author is making a a commentary here on sort of uh, racism in the South in America in the middle of the century and even through to today, but we'll don't need to get into all that, but it's, these people are very proud of their heritage, even though they seem to be kind of, uh, you know, backwoods dummies. So, um, so anyway, the guy is like, okay, cool. Saldar Slytherin's last living descendants. I don't really care. And you still have to go to this hearing and you might go to jail. So, come here. <laughs> Cecilia and a boy named Tom come walking up the path. Who are Cecilia and Tom? Do you remember? Cecilia is either Tom's friend or girlfriend. Pretty sure it's his girlfriend. And what kind of people are they? They're muggles. They're fancy muggles. They seem to be well-to-do, possibly rich. They come up the path and... One of them starts teasing Marope. Why? Not not Cecilia and Tom, but one of her family. I think Mr. Gaunt or her Morphin. It's somebody, and they say, um, and they say something like, uh, they say something like, "Ooh, Marope's in love with the Muggle." Yeah, Marope has a crush on Tom. This infuriates Mr. Gaunt, who starts choking both the children, and Ogden. Then I'm saves them. Then I'm guessing Morphin was the one who said it. Probably so. Ogden runs out. He's like, "This is not a place where I'm going to be able to get these people to listen to me." Obviously, oh, this guy's. I'm done. Yeah, this guy's not coming to this hearing. I got to get out of here before if they're if he's about to kill his own kids, he's definitely not going to treat me right. So I got to get out. Dumbledore, they, they sort of. Uh, Harry and Dumbledore return out of the memory and Dumbledore explains, yes, Tom is Voldemort's father, Tom Riddle senior, Mr. Gaunt, Morphin and Marope's father is Marvolo Gaunt. By the way, I don't know if we learn this later or not, but, um, I believe Marope uses a love potion on Tom Riddle senior. That's coming. Um, First of all, Marvolo Gaunt. Why is that name familiar? Um, oh, that's right. Tom uh, Tom Marvolo Riddle. That's Voldemort's true name. So he was named after his grandfather and his muggle father, right? Yeah. And you're right. Dumbledore says he thinks Marope must have used a love potion on Tom Riddle. So maybe she couldn't do magic very well, but maybe she could do potions, or maybe she stole it. They, I think that they actually say that she actually did, because it says something like, once it wore off, Tom left. Right, exactly. Uh, Morphin and Marvolo... So Marope is Tom's mother. Morphin and Marvolo were overpowered later when Ogden came back with reinforcements, and they both went to Azkaban. Morphin for three years and Marvolo for six months. And Dumbledore thinks that Marope used this love potion on Tom Riddle Sr. Marvolo died right after he got out of Azkaban. And his daughter, Marope, has fled. Uh, 
Tom Riddle. Yeah, he expected that his daughter that his daughter would be taking care of the house waiting for him to come out. She and then Marope assumed that when the love potion wore off that Tom would still love her, but what did he actually think? He didn't love her at all, for real. So And he realized he was tricked. He thought he was tricked. He said he was hoodwinked, which means tricked. Yeah, so he just left um, just as Marope was about to have her baby. And we do know what happened to him eventually. That baby grew up and murdered him. So that was his fate. Uh, We also now know that Voldemort, like when we saw Voldemort's muggle father and and his nice house and all that, you might have thought like, well, if... Why was uh, Tom, why didn't he have a family to go back to if his father had this, you know, nice house and whatnot? Because he never lived there. He, so it was sort of a misdirection of saying this was my father's house or these are my father's bones when it seems like his father never actually claimed him, even though he took his name. So I'm guessing Marope named him after that man and after his grandfather, but possibly... Voldemort didn't meet his father until the night he killed him. Seems likely to me. Don't you think? Yeah. Um, Tom Riddley, this is after a while, maybe because Marope thought Tom... Actually, I think that somebody... Like, Marope was about to have her baby, but she was going... But she assumed she was going to die before she got to see the baby... So she asked the person as her dying wish, wish to name him that. Oh, okay. At this point, we have not seen what happens to young Tom Riddle yet, so I will refrain from talking about that. But uh but Voldemort also or Dumbledore also mentions something special about that ring. What does he tell Harry about the ring that was the Peveril family's ring the descendants of Salazar Slytherin. That's the very one that he's wearing on his blackened finger. And he says, I acquired it recently around the time that I injured my hand. So maybe the ring is what injured his hand? Maybe it had a curse on it that only that family could touch it otherwise. Who knows? Uh, now we are at chapter 11. Hermione's helping hand. We learned that nonverbal spells are now expected in several classes. So we can see that the magic education is ramping up, right? Yeah. Here he gets a new copy of advanced potion making from Flourish and Blots. He's like, eh, no thanks. Well, remember what he does with the cover? He takes the covers. He takes both of the books out. Um, takes the covers... And then he does a spell, and it switches the covers around, so it looks like he's using his new book. Yeah, he basically rips the cover, not just the, the, the paper cover, but the actual hard cover off the book, and then repairs it to his old book. So now he's got best of both worlds. No one knows what he's doing, but he's still got all the notes that he wants. Yeah, only um, Ron and Hermione know what he's doing. The Daily Prophet says Stan Shunpike's been arrested as a suspected Death Eater, that doesn't seem right. He's the conductor of the night bus. You know, I don't think Stan's a Death Eater. What do you think? He's a pretty nice guy. Uh, it seems unlikely. So what's going on at the ministry, I wonder? Um, 
Hermione mentions that people are starting to become afraid. The Patel twins' parents want them to go home. And one student's already been withdrawn from Hogwarts. So the paranoia amongst parents and students is increasing, maybe in the wizarding world at large. Dumbledore seems like he's gone for a whole week. And Hannah Abbott's mother has been found dead. And Hannah Abbott is now gone. So the world, you know, the world they live in seems to be getting more grave and more severe. Lavender is still kind of flirty with Ron when he goes to Quidditch tryouts. Ron has a new position that he wants this year. And who has he got to? Well, I think he already was keeper. He wants to be keeper again. But who's he got to fight for the position? I don't remember his name. Cormac McLaughlin. Yeah, Cormac. How do their trials go? Let's see. McLaggen, um saves four out of five goals, and Ron saves five out of five. And why does Cormac miss a goal? Is that this part? I don't know. Have you gotten to the part yet where Hermione interferes? Yes. I think that's this part. Let's they see. Say th- they say that in a few minutes. Okay. So why did he miss? Because Hermione interfered. Oh, he, she was the one who made the ball go crazy? Yeah, she confundist him. She, okay, uh, I, th- I thought that was... On, on, I thought she only put a spell on Ron. Ron later com- comments that McLaughlin, uh his last penalty in shooting was in the wrong direction, like he'd been confunded, and then Hermione blushes. Like, Ooh. I think we're supposed to know that point, that Hermione has intervened on Ron's behalf. They go off to see Hagrid, and he's got Buckbeak there, so Buckbeak's no longer injured and at, you know, uh, Grimmauld Place. He's tethered in front of the cabin. Her Hagrid is pretty upset, and I think we've established why, right? Yeah. His three favorite students did not take his class. Yeah. And they tell him, you know, we wanted to, but it wouldn't fit, and we're not going to go into magical creatures as, like, a job, so... Sorry. It's just a bad... Yeah, it's just bad. Nothing against you. Like, sorry, no offense. But then Hagrid, the big oaf, bursts into tears like a little baby. And what is his problem? Not sure. What is happening to his most favorite pet? Remember Aragog, the spider? That's right. I believe he's he's very ill. He's <laughs> Aragog. He's dying. So Hagrid's upset for multiple reasons, right? Yeah. Um they they feel sorry for Hagrid because he's upset. Do you think they feel sorry that Aragog is dying? No. What's the last thing that Aragog tried to do to Harry and Ron. Kill him. Yeah, he tried to eat him. Tried to feed him to his babies. He's like, we can't pass up fresh meat. Yeah. Hello, Hagrid friend is of here. Hagrid. Yeah, so he's... he's um, Goodbye, friend of Hagrid. Yeah, yeah so he's not a great guy. I, I don't think Harry is going to miss Aragog, but he certainly feels bad... That Hagrid that, is sad. That Hagrid feels bad, yah When they get back to the ha- castle, McLaughlin uh, sort of busts in, and Hermione tells Harry that she she was the one that did the confundus charm on him. Yeah. She admits to it. Slughorn invites Harry and Hermione to a slug club meeting that evening. He also includes some Slytherins. Uh, but Harry can't go because he's got detention with Snape. 
Ron again is kind of like, well, I didn't get invited. You know, he's kind of down and down and out for being left out, I guess. The Daily Prophet mentions Mr. Weasley and that uh, he and the ministry raided the Malfoy's house but found nothing. How do you think that makes Draco feel? That his name is in the news for something so below him, beneath him, scandalous. Proud? No, 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 no. This is embarrassing to Draco. Oh. First of all, it says the ministry was getting involved uh, against his family when he, he they're always proud of being so tight with the ministry. It also mentions a Weasley. I'm sure he doesn't like the idea of any Weasley marching around his house giving orders, telling people to look for things. Mm. But they didn't find anything. And Harry thinks that Draco must have bought whatever he was trying to get, or he must have brought whatever he was trying to get at Borgen and Burke's to Hogwarts. Perhaps they were looking for the thing that maybe he got from Borgen and Burke's. So now perhaps there's something to find at the castle. But Hermione is wondering how would he get it in because now there's super tightened security. Yeah, she mentions that Filch uses secrecy sensors. But also... And that owls are also being checked. Yeah, owls are being checked, but somehow girls are bringing po- like love potions and stuff in disguised as perfume. And then Harry gets a note that says, Even though Professor Slughorn has asked that your detention be postponed, it will not be. Come to detention. So Slughorn has even intervened on his behalf trying to get Harry out of detention. Chapter 12, Silver and Opals. Harry is sort of obsessed, I think, with the advanced potion-making book. He almost seems like he's getting to know the Half-Blood Prince, right? Yeah. He learns about some new spells. He uh, There's one called Muffliato, and it fills the ears of anyone nearby with a buzzing sound. So that they can't hear... Um, you talking to your friend. There's also a Levicorpus, uh, which it looks like perhaps the Half-Blood Prince may have invented these spells. Yeah, in the, in the movie... They used Levicorpus like three movies ago. Yeah. So I think they skip ahead on that, but I guess in the books it has not been mentioned. This is the one that he tries on Ron at some point. I can't remember if that's now or later, but he tries a Levicorpus on Ron. He tries it once he reads about it. Yeah, and then also there's like code, like N-VBL means nonverbal. And he doesn't think he's going to be able to do some of these spells. They seem too hard. Uh, Snape had even commented in class that nonverbal spells are very difficult. But at this point, Harry thinks the Half-Blood Prince is a better teacher than Snape. So he tries it, and he, yeah, he tries it on Ron, and then Ron's dangling upside down in midair. She's like, oh, okay, apparently I can do this. <laughs> I'm Her- like, oh, this is what it does, huh? Hermione doesn't think so highly of the prince. What does she think? I think she thinks something like he's giving bad advice or something. She thinks he's kind of a dodgy character. Harry has a memory from Snape's mind that it was his father using this spell to hold Snape up in the air. So he wonders, oh, is my father the Half-Blood Prince? 
But Hermione says, you know, we also saw people, we saw Death Eaters using this spell at the Quidditch Cup. Yeah, and she eventually starts arguing um, whenever Harry says he or his, referring to the Half-Blood Prince, she starts arguing or her, and and Harry's like, Prince Hermione, Prince. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's not the Half-Blood Princess, so maybe that's what, what she's thinking. So... Then they have their first trip to Hogsmeade Village. Slughorn still begging Harry to come to his meetings. He says, you've missed two or three. Hermione's having a wonderful time, Miss Granger. She loves it and I'm uh, having such good fun. Harry, Is come. that how he stalks in the movie? Yeah, kind of not really. It's just kind of my thing. But um, he's, He is a bit stuttery. Harry, you know, come to my... Come to my meetings and we'll have an excellent time. So... And the three broomsticks, they run into Mundungus. And what's uh what sort of uh illicit activity is he up to? He has a box full of stuff. Harry checks it out and he's like, Hey, this is my stuff. Cause it turns out that at least some of the stuff is from Grimald Place. Yeah, it's got the black family crest all over it. He's selling silver, uh, goblets and glasses and plates and whatnot. And so he's like, so now we know for sure that Dung has been raiding the Black House and stealing things because there's no one there to protect it, basically. Speaking of raiding, you know, he might have stole that thing from the Malfoy House. Oh, whatever the ministry is looking for? Yeah. It, it wouldn't be out of character for him, but I wonder if he would have a harder time stealing from the Malfoys than he would from an empty house that no one lives in. I guess so. But, you know, there's at least one less person living in the Malfoy house because daddy's in jail. So, <laughs> uh, Dung disapparates before they can really do anything to him. And they can't follow him. They don't know where he went. They're not allowed to apparate anyway. They go back to Hogwarts and they're following Katie Bell. Katie is kind of having an argument with her friend and holding something in her hand. What happens next? It's a little package and she's like, it has nothing to do with you. And it rips and it touches her fingertip a tiny, a tiny bit for like a split second. And then she starts slowly raising up into the air. And then she screams. Yeah, she almost looks peaceful as she rises. But then she makes a horrible face and screams bloody murder. And eventually falls to the ground. Uh, the kids run towards her, and what she had was what? She had a, a, like a necklace in her hand, and and um, some of the kids are trying to like st- strangle her down to the ground. It's an opal necklace, and Harry recognizes it as being on display at Borgen and Burke's. Uh, Leanne tells them, her friend Leanne tells them that Katie came back from the bathroom in the Three Broomsticks, and she had it in her hands. And that it was a surprise for someone at Hogwarts. So perhaps she was supposed to deliver it and couldn't wait. And they, you know, they got in that argument and they tore it open. It seems like it was meant for someone else, right? Yes. She thinks Katie might have been under the imperious curse. Uh, Harry takes the necklace in his scarf. He's smart enough not to touch it. And they want to go show it to Madame Pomfrey. Obviously also get some help for Katie. Who does care? Who does Harry think is behind this uh, cursed necklace? Malfoy. 
so now we know of two cursed, possibly, items. There is definitely a suspicious ring that Dumbledore is wearing that might have something to do with his hand being messed up. And now we've got a cursed, ornate necklace that was at Morgan and Burke's. Who else was at Morgan and Burke's? Malfoy. Malfoy. Malfoy was saying, that thing I need better be ready. It's also interesting to mention that previously, when they were all at Borgen and Burke's, and Hermione was trying to talk to Mr. Borgen about what Malfoy might have been doing there and trying to figure out what items might have been reserved, she said, oh, this necklace in this cabinet, how much is that? And he said, 1,500 galleons, which is like, I don't know, $25,000 or something, so... Uh, so if that so is ba- this necklace, so about how, so about how much Harry won in the Triwizard Tournament, huh? He won a thousand. Yeah. So it's close. Um, so if this is that same necklace, who would have enough money to buy it? Probably Malfoy. All signs are pointing to Malfoy at this point. I don't understand why no one believes Harry. It seems like he's got a pretty good case against Malfoy. Professor McGonagall arrives, tells no one to touch the necklace, orders Filch to take it to Dumbledore, and then takes everyone else who's watching to her office to try and figure out what happened. Harry says, it was Draco! Don't even talk to us! It was Draco! Go get Draco! Draco did it! (laughs) And McGonagall says, "Uh, Draco was doing detention with me when all this happened. And I want to be like, hey, McGonagall, why couldn't you have set it up earlier? He's got henchmen. He's got Crab and Goyle. He doesn't have to be there himself. This is one of those points where the adults seem really thick. That they should listen to the kids a little bit more. But she says... Like, it could literally have been Crab and Goyle who gave it to her. Yeah, he could have sent anyone to do his bidding. Um, Anyone. And if she was under the Imperious Curse, then he might have Imperiused someone else to do it, you know? Yeah. Chapter 13. And like somebody might be taking the polyjuice potion as in his place. Like, right. No. Chapter 13, the secret riddle. Harry has another private meeting with Dumbledore. I think we know the theme of their meetings now is to learn as much as possible about, about Voldemort. It's also looking at memories a lot. Dumbledore tells Harry that Katie was lucky that she barely touched the necklace. Because if she had actually grabbed it or put it on, it would have killed her. Who saved her? Do you remember? No. Snape saved her. Snape prevented the spread of the curse, and she's in St. Mungo's now. But she's, you know, she's not doing great, but she's not dead. They uh, they also talk quickly about Mundungus stealing stuff from the Black House and about Draco possibly being involved. They're going to learn more about Voldemort's history. They have a memory from someone named Caractacus Burke. They use the pin sieve to enter the memory. I think it's interesting to point out that none of these memories are Dumbledore's, which means he has been collecting memories from random people. But at least one of them was Dumbledore's. Not yet. The last one was from Ogden. This one's from Burke. I oh, I thought I thought you meant out of all of them. No, no, I'm saying these memories about Voldemort. So it seems as though Dumbledore has been collecting memories. Perhaps when he's gone. For a week, maybe he's out collecting these memories that he thinks will be important. So they go into the memory, 
and Burke, uh, they see how Marope sold him her gold locket, which we've mentioned before, and that she could do magic, but Dumbledore thinks when her husband left, she stopped doing magic. So maybe she was just shy about magic, but she wasn't really a squib, right? Yeah. He even says that Marope refused to raise her wand even to save her own life. So now we know she was killed. Maybe not exactly how, but that she didn't even defend herself. Now they decide to look at one of Dumbledore's memories. There is a young Dumbledore, which is to say probably 50 or 60, goes to an orphanage to meet with a Mrs. Cole. Mrs. Cole tells one of the staff members uh, to go tend to some other kids, but Dumbledore is here to see Tom Riddle. Years ago, Riddle's mother gave birth right there and died on the spot, or died an hour later, I guess. So, okay, this is confusing to me. I guess she wasn't murdered, but maybe she could have used magic to save her life from not dying during childbirth? Not sure. But her her dying wish was for someone to name him. Yeah, and I think I think she was saying like I couldn't have the husband I wanted, so I guess I'm just going to die. I don't know. Um she left him at the orphanage and obviously we know how he turned out. Do you think his life would have been different if he had had a mother that loved him? Mhm. I'd think so. I'd think uh he's in many ways he's the opposite of Harry. Harry grew up loving and caring in spite of being raised by terrible people. Dumbledore grew up unable Voldemort. to, un, or Voldemort grew up unable to experience love or care for anyone because he did not have a mother. Something else that uh, the author has said before that's important to note about love spells, Dumbledore or Voldemort was conceived under a love spell which means his parents did not actually love each other. And she wanted to point out that, and that the the father was forced against his will, right? That someone born under these circumstances, uh, where there is no love and there's coercion and there's dishonesty, uh, could not experience love in their life. And that was one of the main things that was wrong with with Voldemort, was that he was born under a, you know, sort of, Cursed match, I guess. So that's partly his mother's fault. It's entirely his mother's fault. She tricked a muggle, put a spell on him, had a baby, and then when he decided he did not love her because he was tricked, she basically allowed herself to die. So it's really entirely her fault. I mean, she's a sad figure. She was abused by her family, mistreated by her father and her brother, but she still made her own bad decisions, right? And it led to the most evil, powerful, dark wizard of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, Dumbledore goes to visit this young Tom Riddle. Seems like he's about, what, like eight or nine maybe in this orphanage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marope seems nice. When you think about it, not so much. The orphanage lady says that Tom is an odd boy. He scares the other children. Yeah. he. She actually asks Dumbledore, you'll take him no matter what I say. Right, right, right. Because he's about he's about the right age to go to Hogwarts. So I guess he's probably turning 11 soon. Or is it 10 or 11? It's 11, right? Yeah. 
So she also says it's hard to catch Tom as the culprit for these nasty events that happen around him. Because like, for instance, he has a, he has an argument with a boy named Billy. And the next day, Billy's rabbit is hung dead from the rafters. And they were gone on a trip or something like that. Or no, it's another thing. They, they go on a trip and two other kids, uh, didn't seem right afterwards. Like they had seen something that terrified them or they got a spell put on them and that they said they went exploring in a cave with Tom and something happened, but they wouldn't say what. So they can't find any hard evidence, but they suspect him of wrongdoing, right? Yeah. They go to meet Tom. How would you describe Tom, young Tom Riddle? I would say he's kind... I'm not sure. He seems suspicious. He seems uneasy. He seems uh, certainly not friendly. The only thing that gets him excited is when Dumbledore tells him that if you go to Hogwarts, you'll be able to do magic. Yeah. And he, he likes the idea that he'll get to do things. He mentions that he can move objects, that he can command animals, and he can also make people hurt. And Dumbledore's like, go, man. This is one of the wrongest choices I've ever made. Well, I don't think it's a wrong choice. I think he's trying to, I think he's really trying to save this kid. He's like, if I leave him in the care of these muggles, only bad things will keep happening. At least if we get him a proper education in magic, maybe he won't, you know. Whatever. How does Dumbledore demonstrate how powerful he is to Tom? I believe he makes his wardrobe start shaking. He makes it catch on fire. And then he puts it out and there's no damage to the wardrobe. Tom's fascinated. But then he tells Tom to take something out of the wardrobe. What is it? That's when it starts shaking. Yeah. And what is that that he He, takes out? He takes out a box and empties it. And it's filled with a yo-yo, a harmonica, and something else. It's all things that he stole from other kids, though. And Dumbledore says, before I can take you, you have to return these things and apologize. He also, Tom, asks Dumbledore for money to buy the things he needs for school, and Dumbledore gives him some. He takes it, but he doesn't thank Dumbledore. And... Dumbledore offers to go with him since he doesn't have an adult. He's like, no, I can do it on my own. Yeah, he doesn't. He, he wants to be on his own. Um, he refuses Dumbledore's offer of helping him to get his stuff. Dumbledore says he should find the leaky cauldron and ask for Tom the bartender. Tom seems to not like that so yeah. many people have his name. He's like, ugh. He also wants to know if my father was a wizard and Dumbledore says he doesn't know. I bet Dumbledore maybe knows at this point. Probably. Yeah. Well, maybe not because he's only learning about these memories now years and years and years later. I I think maybe it's safe to say he knows nothing about Tom Riddle other than he was at a muggle uh, orphanage. So perhaps this is all mystery to Dumbledore. Um, 
We know the answer, obviously. Yeah, I expect he probably knows at least something about that. But what do you think that sort of planting a seed in him of of everyone has the same name as me, right? What do you think that's going to make him do later? It's it's going to make him change his name. Yeah, obviously we know this is his obsession with creating a new identity comes somewhere from this feeling that his name is too normal. By the way, what does Voldemort mean again? Uh, flight from death in French. Hmm. So, and actually recently, J.K. Rowling said that uh, the entire world pronounced it wrong because the movies pronounced it wrong, but it's Voldemort. Because in French, you wouldn't say the T. Huh. But she doesn't care. She says, say it however you want to, <laughs> I guess. So, he also, as they're leaving, Tom Riddle sort of says, by the way, I can talk to snakes. Is that normal for wizards? Dumbledore's like, like, yikes. no. It's only normal for dark wizards. Yikes, no. So that's probably his first indication that maybe something is amiss with this riddle boy. Harry and Dumbledore pop out of that memory, and Dumbledore emphasizes that Tom is a parcel mouth, and he has instincts for cruelty and secrecy and domination. And he hates everything that makes him ordinary, like his name, for instance. Mm-hmm. Also that he was very self-sufficient because he didn't want any help. He was very secretive and friendless. He didn't care for other people. So all the qualities that Voldemort has today as like a 90-year-old adult, he had when he was a 10-year-old boy. And that's often true of people. That the thing they become as an adult is just an amplified version of the thing they were as a child. And he also says um, Voldemort never had a friend and never wanted one. He also points out that Tom liked collecting trophies stolen from his victims. And that's going to be very important later. Really? Well, he liked collecting those things that were in his box that he stole stole from people that perhaps he had hurt with magic and that he never stopped enjoying collecting trophies from victims. So that's going to come into play very soon. And uh, Harry also notices that the golden ring is now gone from Dumbledore's table. So that leaves us uh, at the end of chapter 13 we will start next time on chapter 14, Felix Felicis. We know what Felix Felicis is, and so perhaps somebody is going to drink a bottle of liquid luck and have a good day, or maybe not. I don't know. What do you think? You've already read it. You know. You know, and I know. Well, of course we both they know. Don't know. Let's, they probably know, too. Let's just all pretend we don't know <laughs> until the next episode. Thank you to Harry and the Potters for letting us use their song, This Book is So Awesome, which is finally about the book that we're talking about now. <laughs> yeah. That's a song about the Half-Blood Prince's uh, potions book. Yeah, I literally didn't didn't get that until you told me. You weren't supposed to. I was trying to keep it a secret because otherwise you would have known something about a book we hadn't read yet. No, I didn't get it be- because like, even when we had started the book. Oh, okay. So, uh, thank you to them. Thank you to everyone who uh, listens and downloads and enjoys the show. Please do give us a positive rating on iTunes. It'll help other people find the show and possibly enjoy it with their kids 
or as adults who feel like kids when they read these books, like I do, uh, we will be recording as many as we can before we head off to Wizarding World, but I bet we don't get to it because this is our last week and everything before vacation's crazy, and yeah. Lily is pretty excited all day, every day, and can't sleep <laughs> and can't think about anything else. Yeah, we literally have like four days. Do you think we're going to record an episode about Wizarding World after we get back? Probably. I'd like to, if we remember everything. I think we mm-hmm. will. We'll have we'll have a bunch of pictures to look at, right? Yeah. And a bunch of stuff, that souvenirs and, yeah, plus, and whatnot. Plus, since we're only going one day. That's true. Well, from what I understand, you can do everything easily in one day in both parks. So it's not the kind of place that you spend three or four days at. Mm-hmm. So, well, it, you can do Universal Studios for three or four days, but I'm honestly only interested in... Uh, Wizarding World. So yeah. that's kind of where we are. Uh, so thank you for Potter and Daughter. My name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. I think pretty good episode. Great episode. All right. Bye. This book is so awesome.